On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont to trace the life of Jesus then and now. In our last conversation, Mike, we were on the jetty listening and watching the tourists going out on the tourist boats under the Sea of Galilee and uh, and that was fun and, and, and very interesting to hear about uh, his sea as that episode was called. This episode is called His Parables. That speaks for itself. We're talking about parables, but just a definition for us. What, what is a parable? A parable can find all sorts of different expressions. The Greek word uh, Paraboli means something set alongside something else as, as a way of interpreting or explaining or demonstrating it. So a parable might be a story, it might be a pithy saying, it might be a proverb that uses normally some sort of pictorial language or graphic imagery or story to make its point. So Jesus used that technique to, what, teach lessons? Yes, and, you know, he, he wasn't the first to use stories. Other rabbis had used stories to illustrate. But the thing is about Jesus, he used stories not just to illustrate, but to actually be the point. Now, anyone who's ever listened to a sermon will know that preachers love to use stories to illustrate. But for Jesus, the stories weren't an illustration of the point. They were the point. So sometimes he simply told the story and let it be its own message. Lovely to hear some singing in the background of one of the tourist groups, probably it singing is. a hymn or a chorus. Yeah, and this particular group is a Korean group. So again, bringing home how many nationalities come to this place and gather around this Sea of Galilee where we're sitting now to, to come and follow in the steps of Jesus. And I suppose that was another thing about parables, that they could be understood by people of... Lots of different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you didn't need a degree in theology. You didn't need to be a great rabbi to understand them. Uh, in fact, you know, some of the rabbis and the Pharisees rather despised Jesus' as simple stories. But the thing about a story is it could reach anyone. It could communicate with anyone at any level. And if you had an open heart to hear, the message was very simple and straightforward. How much of Jesus' teaching was based around parables? Oh, uh, a huge amount of his teaching. Um, the parables are essentially in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. There aren't any clearly defined parables in John, although John uses loads of imagery. Uh, and some of those parables in the three synoptic Gospels are repeated. Sometimes we just find them in one of the Gospels. But there are at least... 39 different stories, parables that are included there. So it was a very, very significant part of Jesus's teaching. A significant percentage of his teaching was, was given using parable. One question I haven't had the chance to ask you is how did Jesus sort of suddenly become a rabbi? <laughs> Good question. Well, you see, how people normally became a rabbi was to attach themselves to another rabbi and spend years being trained and taught by them. And eventually, you know, you'd sort of rise through the ranks and become a rabbi in your own right and start having your own disciples. Of course, Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't attach himself to any human rabbi. The only person that he'd been taught by was the Holy Spirit, his Father in heaven, and him giving himself constantly 
to studying God's word. So nobody trained him, nobody taught him. He suddenly appears on the scene. But the thing is, there was something about his teaching, backed up, of course, by how he lived and the miracles he did, that made people think, my goodness, this guy might not have had formal academic rabbinic training, but he's worth listening to. Just look, look at his life, look at his miracles, look at his healings. There's something about this man that says you need to listen to him. And even though these parables were, were different, they were still based on everyday life, were they? Yeah, very much so. You know, I suppose they came into you know, three or four particular categories. There were parables that were drawn from everyday life. So things like a farmer going out to sow seed in a field. Everybody had seen that. Everybody knew that. Many people had done that uh, themselves. Uh, a fisherman going out to catch fish and, and catching all different kinds of fish and rubbish along with it as well. Any fisherman could understand that. So first group were definitely parables from everyday life. In other words, things that ordinary people could connect with and think, ha yeah, yeah, I've experienced that one myself. Um, the second group would be what we might call recent events, like King Herod going to Rome to be given his authority to rule. And Jesus tells a parable about a king going off to a distant country to be given his authority to rule. And clearly everybody would be thinking, oh yeah, we know who you're talking about there. So everyday life, recent events. Um, the third one you might call familiar situations in life. So things like oh, a woman searching for a coin that she'd lost or a shepherd looking for that blessed sheep that had gone wandering off again. So everyday life, recent events, familiar situations. These were like the three main pegs that his different parables hung around. Because that was part of the secret, that people were hearing about things they related to, everyday life. Yeah, and I love that. It's like Jesus was trying to teach deep truths about the kingdom of God, how God's kingdom worked and operated. And yet he teaches profound truths through, you know, some of the most simple things. And I always say in life, when you can really explain something simply and yet accurately, that's when you really understand it. And, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He took the incredible mysteries and depths of the teaching about the kingdom of God and yet was able to distill it into such simple sayings, simple stories that were drawn on everyday life that people could say, oh, I see what you mean. And because we're here by the Sea of Galilee, the water just a short distance from us, lapping up onto the shore and so on. It was these everyday settings as well. It was the natural landscape that he sometimes drew on and everything that was around him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so sometimes he'd talk about, you know, look at a city on a hill, it, it can't be hidden. That was one of these short, punchy sayings rather than a longer story as such. And he would be probably where we are now, looking across to the other side of the lake and some of those cities of the Decapolis, at least one of which used to have sort of party all night through, would be a city on a hill. So these were all things, yeah, that, that people could relate to out of life here that was all around them. You said that he sort of talked about kingdom or tried to teach about kingdom. I mean, was that something that people got? Did they understand it? <laughs> well, do you know what? I, 
I think they understood it and they didn't understand it. And we're, we're going to be looking at the issue of Jesus's teaching about the kingdom in another episode. So I won't say too much about that as such. But, you know, the issue of understanding, very often we we summarize parables as, you know, I've heard people say, oh, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, or a parable was a story that Jesus told to help people understand. Well, the funny thing is, Jesus himself said that he taught parables so that people sometimes didn't understand. (laughs) If I take you to Matthew chapter 13, which is a, a setting right here by the Sea of Galilee, where it says that, Uh, That same day, Jesus went out from the house, that is the house that he was based in there in Capernaum. And he started to teach them many things. And the first thing he teaches them is the parable of the sower. And um, his disciples don't really quite get it. Uh, And so they came to him and, and said to him in Matthew 13, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes from Isaiah. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. Now, Jesus is saying something interesting there. I teach in parables so that for some people that will mean they don't understand. You know, I think for some people these parables, oh, for goodness sake, these are children's stories. I don't know, perhaps the way that sometimes people get a bit dismissive if we have a a children's talk in church, it's beneath them. And there were some in Jesus' time, like the rabbis and the scribes, who no doubt sneered at some of these stories, but in their sneering, they closed their hearts and their minds to the teaching that Jesus was giving. And yet for those folk who would open their hearts and think, what truth is here? These same parables would reveal God's kingdom. So to some people, the parables revealed God's truth, but to other people, they concealed God's truth. And the key was what their heart was like, what their openness was like. So would he teach his parables always to groups of people? Oh, sometimes they were to individuals, sometimes to to groups, sometimes to very large crowds. So there was a huge variety in what he did. So in other words, those different audiences would perhaps hear those parables in different ways. And obviously those spoken to individuals would, one hopes, take them personally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's there's several parables that Jesus addresses to to individuals. There's that well-known one when someone comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus says, well, what's in the law? And the guy replies, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Do this and you will live. Ooh, bit of a shock there. Do this and you will live tends to imply that I haven't done it. So the guy says to him, mm, good answer, Jesus. The thing is, it's really hard to know who your neighbour is, isn't it? And so he goes on to tell that well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. So that one was addressed simply to one individual. The ones in Matthew 13 are addressed to whole crowds. And do you get the impression that these have been sort of carefully thought out in Jesus' mind, you know, planned out? I mean, stories that he wanted to find the right opportunity to tell them. Now, that's a really interesting question, you know. Did, did Jesus, like preachers today, you know, prepare, plan, have notes, as it were, or were they all spontaneous? I suppose we tend to think that, you know, his teaching was spontaneous, but I don't see why it had to be. Um, in fact, it looks like when you read the Gospels that he had certain truths or teachings that he taught in almost identical a way, but in a slightly different twist or turn at times, a bit like a, a preacher, say, having a stock story that he slightly angles or slants according to his audience. So I don't think we have to think that Jesus just sat there and these things dropped out of heaven. You know, one of the big things we find Jesus doing in the New Testament, isn't it, is going off and spending time with his Father. Why shouldn't some of that time be, hey, Father, do you want to give me a picture for how I could share this truth to people? Because everything he did, he drew from his Father. In fact, he said, you know, I can only do what I see my father doing. He was utterly dependent on his father. So maybe he was just as dependent for getting these parables and these stories. Now, what, we're 2,000 years on, and I can hear an aircraft overhead. We're in Tiberius at the moment. And I wonder, you know, might some people think these parables are a bit old-fashioned? Well, do you know what? I suppose they could, because, let's face it, it's all based on a a society of 2,000 years ago. Of course, in some parts of the world, life is still exactly like this. Sowers do go out to sow, casting their seed in the old broadcasting, flinging it around method. I suppose for many people in the West, these stories themselves don't directly relate. But you know what? A good story is always a good story. It's a bit like a good joke, isn't it? And therefore, these stories, while they belong to a different cultural setting. At the end of the day, they address the issues of the human heart. And the human heart hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. And so they're just as relevant. The truth is sometimes we might just need a little bit of explanation about some points in them, like other things in the Bible. But I think they're still as relevant today as ever they were. To what extent in these parables does Jesus sort of use exaggeration? to make the point? Oh, uh, absolutely at times. Uh, one of my favourites to always quote at this point is the sort of one-liner parable he uses about how ridiculous it is for someone trying to put someone else right when there's clearly things wrong in their own life. Uh, and he talks about this man who's got a great big plank sticking out of his own eye going along to his friend and saying, excuse me, I think there's a tiny little splinter in yours. Or talking about, you know, it's easier for a 
camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, some older listeners might perhaps remember that years ago people used to say, ah, the eye of the needle was a a small gate uh, that let people into Jerusalem. No, it wasn't. There's never been such a gate. Jesus was being funny. He was giving a ridiculous example. You know, and perhaps as he gave that example, I don't know, he might have been sitting there and a camel passing by in the background um, and him saying, do you know what? It, it's, easy, it's easier for a, a jolly camel with its great big hump to get through a tiny eye in a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. So some of them were really very, very funny indeed. So like a good observational comedian today, he brought the message home, sometimes with a sort of ouch as well, did he? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing about observational comedians, and I have to say those are my favourite comedians today, um, because they don't tell jokes and they don't have punchlines. They just sort of say, I was at the supermarket last week, and they start to tell these meandering stories, and you're sitting there thinking, yes, 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 that's right, isn't it? And, you know, you're laughing, you're splitting your side, and you suddenly realise he's talking about you. And there's a lot of Jesus's parables that are just like that, whether they are funny or whether they are serious, where you're taking down a journey with him and you suddenly get to the end of the journey in the story and realise that this is me. Is there a parable that's had a particular impact on you? Oh, my goodness, what a question to throw at me. I mean, there are just... There are just so many. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, can I give you perhaps a couple? Um, I won't talk too much about the first one because I, th- I think we may refer to it in a future episode. But, but Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, is one that impacts me. And the reason it impacts me is, you know, it's about this sower that goes out and some seed falls on, uh, on good ground and some falls on the rock and some falls among the weeds and so on. Four different types of soil there and four different responses that that word gets. And very often that parable has been used uh, as a people have said it's a parable of the gospel. It's what happens when the gospel is preached, you know, and it might land on the path or it might land on rocky places or it might land where there's only very thin soil or it might land in good soil. And depending on that, that's how someone responds to the gospel. Well, you know, that parable, while it includes the gospel, certainly isn't just about the gospel. In fact, the Greek text in Matthew, when Jesus interprets the parable to his disciples, he'll actually say to them, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears, and the Greek then says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the message about the kingdom, this is not, a parable about what happens the first time you hear Jesus's message. This is a parable about what happens every time Jesus sows his kingdom word into your heart, every time you read your Bible, every time you hear a sermon at church, every time you hear something in your small group, the word is being sown. What, what will happen to it? What's your heart like that day? Is it good soil? Is it shallow soil? Is it rocky soil? Because every single time that word is sown, one of these four things will happen in your life. Perhaps I can give you a, 
a second one if I just turn on a little bit in Matthew's Gospel to Matthew chapter 20. And the reason I, I love this one is, is because it tells us so much of what God is like. And I like it that much. I think probably, David, I'll read it if you don't mind. Do. So it's Matthew chapter 20, often called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. But I think a much better title for it would be the parable of the generous employer. Let me read it. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. Now, about the third hour, that's nine o'clock in the morning, uh, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. Well, then he went out again about the sixth hour, which is now noon. And at the ninth hour, and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found others still standing around. He asked them, what have you been standing around here all day, doing nothing? Well, because no one's hired us, they answered him. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard set to his foreman, called the workers and paid them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Well, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour at the end of the working day came and each received a denarius. Now, a denarius was the standard pay for a whole day's work in those days. Mm -hmm. So they get a whole day's pay for having worked just one hour. <laughs> so when those came who were hired first, you can see where this is going, can't you? Yes. They're standing there thinking, hang on, they got a denarius for one hour's work. We've been out here for nine hours. This is going to be a good day, boys. <laughs> but when they came, those who were high at first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received ah. a denarius. Now, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Well, these men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But the master answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Now take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. And I'm impacted by that parable because Jesus was, well, he was, he was telling it to expose the hearts of those Jews, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees and the rabbis who thought they were in the kingdom first and why should everyone else get the benefits that they'd had when they'd laboured hard and long and obeyed the law. But I love it because of what it reveals about God. This is what God is like, Jesus is saying. God is incredibly generous. Now, I think there's something in us 
that would want to read that story and say, but that's not fair. Yes, indeed. And the answer is, yeah, that's right. That's not fair. But who said God was fair? God is more than fair. So I find this challenging even to my own heart, even today. And that little question that Jesus asks at the end, are you envious? Because I am generous. You know, it is very easy to rejoice when God is generous with us. But do we rejoice when God is generous with others? It's easy to rejoice when God forgives us, but do we rejoice when God forgives others? Maybe some who've, you know, maybe we've lived a pretty good and decent life. Um, and then these people who've lived a terrible life, you know, all sorts of sin seem to get into the kingdom and suddenly God seems to be using them more than he's using me. Oh my goodness, at points like that, I'm behaving like those workers that were hired at the beginning of the day. So I, I love that parable. Well, I love it and I hate it because, you know, it reveals something still in my own heart at times. So these parables are still as powerful as ever. But listen, you know, there, there's just a couple. It's really hard to pick which are my favourite among them, but, but there's two at least. And, you know, back to my thought about observational comedians, clearly from what you've just said, actually, Jesus was a lot more than just a great observer of human life. He was an observer of human life, but he wanted to put that in the context of God and his kingdom. And his passion was to try and show life as it was in order that people could see life as it ought to be. The difference that God could make by coming in and a genuine relationship with God, not just religious formality. And that's why these parables still hit home so hard. So an amazing storyteller, but a storyteller with a purpose and stories that needed a response. That's the thing, isn't it? Not just a story for the sake of having a story. Yeah, absolutely. They, they always need a response. You have to go and do something with it. That that parable of the Good Samaritan when Jesus says, you know, which of these was a neighbor to the man? And the guy reluctantly says, well, I suppose the one who helped him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. You have to do something with these parables, even if there's not the go and do likewise saying at the end. They, they all demand a response to the point that Jesus is trying to make. And actually, perhaps I could just say, even as I say that, you know, when we read parables, they generally have one main point. Don't go looking to interpret every single detail of a parable. It's what people have done with things like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Even the great St. Augustine managed to make the four legs of the donkey symbolize the four gospels and the inn that the man was taken to symbolizing the church. That's not the point. Parables generally have one main point. And if you go looking for all sorts of little points, it might sound very super spiritual, but I can guarantee what it will lead you to do is to try and miss the key point that Jesus is trying to drive home. And therefore you'll fail to respond to the parable as Jesus wants you to. And Jesus told these parables, as you've said, around here, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, other places around the Holy Land as we think of it now. But, I mean, here we are 2,000 years on. What sort of humanity's track record in terms of 
going and doing likewise? Um, it's been very mixed, hasn't it? There have been followers of Jesus who've done an amazing job at going and doing likewise and who still do today, who are right on the cutting edge in those bits of society that are dark and that need transforming. And I suppose the truth is there are those who have just seen these as nice stories to be noted and memorized, but fail to let it touch and transform their life. Do you know, and what Jesus wants more than anything else is not that we know these stories, but that we live these stories. And that's when the Jesus of then becomes a Jesus for now. Could you pray for us as we reflect on the importance of these parables so that when we come to read them again, they may take on a new significance for us? Lord Jesus, the stories and parables that you told around this Sea of Galilee and elsewhere often seem so simple, yet are so profound and penetrating. We pray that as we read them, we might not be blind and deaf as Isaiah prophesied it would be possible to be, but that we would have open hearts each time we read them and that we would be ready not just to hear, but also to put into practice. So, Lord, we pray, may the familiar not cause us to be dull of heart, but rather may these old familiar stories stir us to imitate you and live like you and thus live out more of the kingdom of God in this world where you have placed us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mike Beaumont and David Taverner in the Holy Land, tracing the life of Jesus then and now. Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus then and now. And you can hear more 30 minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs or Bible surprises. Bible surprises.